there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. How is it that a man can study esoteric teachings for a lifetime and judge another? I want you to think about that for a minute. How is it that somebody could study esoteric teachings and then judge another person? Well, let me tell you why and how. He can be a professor of esoteric ideas with teachings, books, CDs, seminars, diagrams, and diatribes. You know what a diatribe is, right? Pat, you don't know what it is, do you? A forceful and bitter verbal attack against someone or something. Now you know, yes. That's why I define these words. I use these words and define these words because I know that they're not words that everybody uses every day, especially in America. In America, you need 500 words to speak English. That's all you need. To get along in America, you only need 500 words. That's not very many words. One of my favorite things in Reader's Digest when I was a kid was expand your vocabulary, you know, increase your vocabulary. And I got in the habit of looking up words hearing a word and thinking, wow, I wonder what that means, and look it up, or hearing a word and think, I know what that word means, and then look it up and go, oh, I didn't know what that word meant at all. It's a great ego buster when you think about it. It's, a, it's great for throwing a little bit of the acid on the false personality. It doesn't like that at all, but it can learn to like it, and then the next thing you know, you can be a professor, you know, where you're using all these big words and you, you know what they all mean, but you're still judging other people. And so what good is it, really? How can this contradiction stand? Unless you begin to observe yourself, it's all useless. See, it doesn't matter how many books you read, how many CDs you listen to, how many seminars you go to, how many diagrams you can draw, how many colors you can put the diagrams in. This line is blue, this line is yellow, this line is red. It doesn't matter. You can make it very elaborate, can't you, Jess? Very elaborate. And still not get it. That's the contradiction. You can still not get it. Unless you observe yourself, it's all useless. The work resides in external memory, informatory center. This is how it happens. The work resides in your external memory, in the formatory center, formatory apparatus, which is the dysfunction of the intellectual center. So that's where the work is. It's stored there. And you can store a whole lot of it there. You can store vast, vast libraries of the work in your external memory of the formatory apparatus. And then you just access it, because that's what it does. It just accesses it, and then it just spews it. And it's powerless. And why is it powerless? It's powerless because it is the letter of the law, but it's not the spirit. It doesn't have the spirit. It didn't get down into anything real in us and touch anything real in us. It stayed just in the outside. This is what happens for many years for most people. For many years, you don't even know this. For many years, you think because you can say these things, you know them. So funny, I got an email this morning from someone who, <laughs> who was allowed to read The New Man. Isn't that awful? Yeah, they were allowed to read The New Man. In fact, I actually sent them a copy of it so that they could read it. And the person quoted something about The New Man and said, does that mean man was once closer to this understanding than now? In other words, this esoteric understanding. I've read this somewhere before, that man was closer in his essence but fell many times before and afterwards, which really makes our state even sadder that we were once 
not that long ago, closer to our aim than now, and that we could understand truths better than before. So really, we haven't evolved at all, but devolved. And we think that we are so much better now. So I suppose that now mankind is on the brink of destruction. Now you can see where the despair comes in. I suppose that now mankind is on the brink of destruction. We've been on the brink of destruction ever since I can remember. <laughs> this is nothing new. We live on the brink of destruction. We live our lives circling the bowl. You know? <laughs> we live our lives waiting to fall in or crawling back out. I mean, really, think about it. What are negative emotions? Negative emotions, that's the brink of destruction. When you're in negative emotions, you're there. You see, and all this work doesn't help you at all as long as it stays in external memory in the formatory apparatus. It doesn't help you at all. Maybe it helps a little bit, but not much. What it helps is it's a self-help. See, the work applied to external memory is self-help, which is pretty pointless because you can't really help yourself, but you can think you're helping yourself. So you can change things. You can rearrange things. You get a new hairdo. You get a new jacket. You get a new shirt. You get new shoes. You get a new purse. You get a new this, a new belt, whatever. So you look a little different. But are you? No, not really. You still react in, in all the same ways you always reacted. Because you still hate the same people. You still have the same problems. So funny. Last night, do you mind if I tell a story on your pet? Okay, you sure? Because it's really going to make you look bad. I mean, really look bad. You're going to look so bad, you're going to run out here screaming and crying. <laughs> and it's probably going to P.O.U. And you can join the list of people who are upset with me because I said things. You're ready, though, huh? I can see the tears in your eyes already. Oh, my God, this is going to be so horrible. So last night, we're sitting at dinner, and the girls are talking about they go to Moonlight Amphitheater on some Fridays to go watch some show, and, and they take food, and they eat. Connie <laughs> says to Patty, very kind of innocently, of course, nothing Connie says is really innocent, but she makes it look innocent, you know, and she says, well, Patty, did you notice that all the food was stopped right in front of you? And Patty goes, oh, um, blah, 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 and just said something it was like noncommittal. Like, well, maybe or maybe not, you know, I don't know. And why are you saying this, you horrible person? So then Connie says to me, I don't know, I guess it was last night, Connie said, well, you know, Pat came to me afterwards and she said, you know, I've had a chance to think about what you said and that's not the way it was. And I thought, yeah. And Connie says, how can somebody not see something when it's physically right in front of you? And it's like, easy. That's the easiest thing in the world. The funny thing was, is that Connie was doing the exact same thing. There was something right in front of her and she was not seeing it. And she said, no, but I mean physically, like a physical object. Well, it's all the same thing, you see. It's all impressions. A physical object is nothing but impressions, really. So whether the impression is a thought or a physical thing or a feeling or a sensation, it's still an impression. And it's like, you've got to back up to the place where you can see that they're all impressions. And then you can see how easy it is to realize that somebody could have something right in their face and not see it. It's just the most normal thing in the world for anyone to defend themselves, for anyone not to see it. It's like, why could she not see it? Well, she has this picture of herself as doing the work. And no, I'm beyond that now. That doesn't have control over me now. That couldn't have happened because now I have this picture of myself as really working in this area. So anyway, she was telling the story and Pat was telling the story. Now, I, of course, I wasn't there, so I don't have any idea if any of this is true. All I know is it's a brilliant example of how we work and how it gets for us when the work is external. And you know it's external because when somebody comes to you and says something like that, you need to really listen and make them right. You need to be making people right. But you see, what you're doing instead is you're making them wrong. You're using the work to make people wrong when you need to be using the work to make people right.
So when they say something to you, you find out how it's true, not how it's false. You're approaching it backwards. The reason you're approaching it backwards is because the work is lodged in external memory. So it's a tool of the false personality to protect the false personality. Do you see? You're not crying, but you look a little sad. Are you okay? No, not right now. Are you not okay right now? No, I'm not okay right now. Oh, so you want to defend yourself? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. So look at that then. This is what we get to do. We get to look at what makes us negative. Now, if you're negative, whose fault is it? Mine. Your fault. But who are you blaming it on? Connie. Yeah. It's Connie's fault you're negative, isn't it? But you know externally, in external memory, you know that it's your fault that you're negative. But where you live, what you're convinced of is that it's somebody else's fault. And this is exactly what I'm talking about. And this is how you become a work professor. You could go and tell other people, like your sister. You could go and tell your sister all kinds of things about this work. You could wow her with your knowledge. But look at you now. And that is exactly what we're talking about. So this is why I brought up this horrible example and why Patty is seething right now. Because it's in external memory and it's not in her. And it takes a while to get in her. To get in any of us, for that matter. So unless you begin to observe yourself, it's all useless. So who is Pat observing now? Anyone? Connie. Who does Pat need to be observing now? Herself. But she can't. Why? Because the little eyes that have her by the throat and that are choking the life out of her will not let her observe herself. They keep her facing Connie and saying, no, no, it's not you, it's her. She has her story. These little eyes have a story. And this is how the story goes. And so here's the deal. Let's say the story is absolutely right. Let's say that Connie just made all this up and not one word of it is true. And let's say that Lori agreed with her just because she wanted Connie to like her and she knew that Pat wouldn't really mind so much. Let's say that it's all true, 100% true, that Pat is absolutely right and that Connie is absolutely wrong. Who's negative? Pat. So the story being absolutely right makes no difference whatsoever. You're still negative. In other words, you're still violent. You still want to kill. You still want to get up over that person because you think now that person has gotten up over you. And it's insane. And that's how it stays until you begin to observe yourself. But you can't observe yourself because you're too busy observing someone else. So how is it that a man can study esoteric teachings for a lifetime and judge another? Well, now you know how. You're watching it. You're watching it happen, and you're watching it happen, and there's nothing you can do about it except separate from it. And the only way to separate from it is to will it, to say, yes, that's right. That's exactly what happened. But you're not willing to do that because that would go against your picture of yourself. This is what you get, peeps. This is how it works. The work resides in external memory, formatory center. After people hear these ideas many times, they often begin to think it's only spaced repetition. See, a lot of people come here and go, you said that last time, you said that last time, you said that last time. Well, that's right. But it's more than spaced repetition. It's a lot more than spaced repetition. The formatory center, this is true. It's just spaced repetition. To the external memory of formatory center, it's just more stuff. It can bring that up and say, yeah, I know that already. You got anything new? Give me a new book. Give me a new something. Give me something else. I need something new. I've already got that. I've already got that. Give me the next building block. I've already got that. Superficial people believe they understand this work because they've heard the ideas, can remember them and repeat them. Who are superficial people? We are is the answer to that. We are superficial people. We live on the surface of life. Anyone who is living through the five senses is a superficial person. That's what that means. Superficial. You're out there on the circumference of life. You haven't found the center of your being yet. You haven't found the center of anything. You haven't found the meaning of anything. You're still accepting life's meaning for your existence. And as long as you accept life's meaning for your existence, you're going to do exactly what Pat's been doing this morning. 
You're going to suffer and you're going to be negative and you're going to rage and you're going to hurt and you're going to feel awful. And the acid is going to be eating at you and you're identified with what it's eating at and you're writhing in agony about it. And you get PO'd. So she's not PO'd at me, she's PO'd at mini me today. Who knows who should be PO'd at later? Probably Rex. Rex will catch it on the way home, which is fine. <laughs> and then James will catch it later because that's how it works. How's it go? The husband hits the wife, the wife hits the kid, the kid kicks the dog, the dog bites the mailman. That's how it goes. So the violence just doesn't end. It doesn't stop until someone stops it. Till the husband hits the wife, the wife hits the kid, the kid hits the dog, and the dog says, geez, these people are worse than dogs. I think I'm going to rise above this and just cancel the whole account. <laughs> that would be my dog, buddy love. So there's a world of difference between a professor, one who declares verbally. That's what a professor is. It's one who declares something verbally and one who applies what he's heard and remembered to himself. When he's heard and remembered, when he applies it to himself, there's a world of difference between that person and someone who just verbally tells other people about it or verbally tells himself about it. External memory of formatory part of the intellectual center will never transform your being. It does not have the power to transform your being. You can see that by the state that Pat got herself into. There's no transformation there. None. It's like one of her feet was nailed to the floor, and now she's running around in this circle. It's this negative circle, circling the bowl, as it were. And so it's like there's no transformational power there. It can't change your being. It can't happen. It can only rearrange your clothing. You can make your face look different. You can do this. Later, you can actually go to Connie and say, oh, well, I'm over it now, and da da da, and then hate her in secret. So there are all these things that it can do, but it just rearranges things on the table. It doesn't change anything. Only when you apply this knowledge of the work to yourself can the work change you. You cannot change you. All you can do is rearrange you. You cannot change you. I know that we talk about self-change a lot, but really, you cannot change you. All you can do is rearrange you. The work can change you. When I say the work, I don't mean the fourth way. I mean the power that caused it to exist. That's what I mean. You see, there is a power, there is a force that emanated this work that emanated esoteric Christianity, that emanated esoteric Islam, that emanated esoteric Judaism, that emanated this, that oozed this. And these are the manifestations it took in different times, in different cultures, with different people. These are the manifestations it took. And right now that force is emanating something now. But we're so busy looking at the old structures and trying to make everything fit into them that we can't see what the work is doing now. We can't see what that force is doing now. And so it takes somebody who's willing to just say, okay, you know what? Forget about that stuff. Let's just go directly to the source and see what the source has to say about that. And of course, all these people in the edifices say, no, danger, danger, Will Robinson, don't do that. You could be led astray. What is it they Deceived. Isn't that the word they use all the time in Christianity? You're deceived. You're deceived. It's like, right. We're all deceived. Let's just get that straight right now. We are all deceived because we do not know who we are. We do not know what we're for. And we don't know what this planet is for or what life is for. We are all deceived. Now, the people who know they're deceived have a leg up on the people who still think that all those other people are deceived. And their leg up is they're observing their deception. And if you're seeing it, you're not being it as much. This work must become emotional. Understanding depends on at least two centers. The formatory part records the teaching. Okay, we've got that. This teaching is the water that must then be turned into wine. So really, what we're talking about is practicing self-observation is turning water into wine, or alchemy. That's what they talked about without taking something base and turning it into something precious. So taking lead and turning it into gold. 
for example. Transformation of being. That's what alchemy is. That's what turning water into wine is. These teachings only become alive in you when you apply them to yourself practically. How do you apply something to yourself practically? Well, when you're in the pit, that's when to apply it. Don't apply it when you're sitting around and you're not negative. (laughs) What good is that? Everybody's an expert in the work when they're sitting around and everything is fine. Life is going their way. Everybody knows everything. Everybody's smart about everything. But let me hammer you once. Let me nail you one time. Let me just crack you on the noggin one time. Then start to apply the work practically. But you see how difficult it is? I mean, it's like almost impossible. You were lucky, Curtis, this morning. All I said to you was, are you nervous? All I said to her was, you're totally identified with your picture of yourself as being this person who's overcome all of this, and you haven't. And that's like a terrible bucket of ice water in the face. It's a great, huge wound to self-love, to self-adoration, to all these pictures that we have of ourselves as, I've been doing this all this time, and that's not how it is, and blah, 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 blah. I know, I'm fully conscious, and, I'm, and I know, you can't tell me. And it's like, well, you're right, I can't tell you. And you're right about that, but that's the worst thing to be right about. What you want to be right about is, hey, look, tell me. I want to know, I want to see it, tell me. What we should be doing is going, you know, thank you. I wish you had told me. What she wants to say is, well, why didn't Connie tell me this? Why did she have to tell you that? That just makes it worse. So she's using you to hammer me. Is that true? Yeah, that's exactly what she thought. <laughs> See, it's like, I've been through this so many times. I know it by heart. I know exactly how the false personality works. I know all of its lies, all of its stories. I know what it's going to say. I know what it's going to bring up. Why? Because there's only one false personality. There's a pattern. And we each dip out of that well. <laughs> we each drink of that. And then we color it in our own way and become this puppet or that marionette or this reactor or this kind of negative or that kind of negative based on what our essence is like. That's something we won't get into right now. Formatory knowledge of this work doesn't come close to being enough to change your being and therefore your life. Your life isn't going to change unless your being changes. So why is it that Pat still has a problem with food? Pat, I'll let you answer that one. Why is it you still have a problem with food? I haven't changed. What hasn't changed? Okay, let me give you an answer one more time. Take your time. I know you're in a dither, so just relax. You're okay. You're not in trouble. You're just... You're just negative and sad because you're such a horrible person. But you're identified with that horrible person. Say, I'm a horrible person. I don't care. I got more people PO'd at me than you have at you. (laughs) So I'm ten times more horrible than you. People all over the world are mad at me. (laughs) You just got got one person mad at you. That's you. All the rest of us are kind of going, geez, wish she'd get off it. But she won't, of course. Why? Because she's tough. That's how it goes. So here's the answer again. Formatory knowledge of this work doesn't come close to being enough to change your being and therefore your life. So how come you're still the same about food? Because it stayed in my intellect, my mind's and it hasn't dribbled down to my being. Yeah, hasn't dribbled down to your being, as if it was going to dribble down. Actually, you're going to have to inject it. I haven't applied it. Yeah, that's right. You haven't applied it. Thank you. Now you're taking responsibility. Now you have a chance. Now you will find your way out. Can you feel the difference? Can you feel the shift? Because I haven't applied it. Not because it hasn't dribbled down. You're still at the effect of it. You're still the victim, see? The work hasn't given me what it should give me. I've put it in the external part of the formatory apparatus. You know, it's it's an external memory. Why hasn't the work done its work? Because you have to apply it. That's why. There's the missing step there. You must take responsibility and make the effort. When? When it's not easy. But 
It's so much easier to do it when it's easy. Yes, it is. It's so much easier to do the hard things in life when you're in the classroom and it's all on the board and it's all theory. So much easier then. So much easier to read the book than it is to actually do it. You know, it's so much easier to go and buy the running shoes and buy the special outfits to go on the 10K run or the 5K run or whatever. It's so much easier to do that than it is to actually get out there every day and practice, isn't it? I mean, that's the easy part, so that's the part we do. But it's the other part that needs to be done if our being is going to change. And if our being is going to change, then our life will change. Mechanical man doesn't observe himself. He talks about it while imagining that he observes himself. This is the way it is. Who is mechanical man? Hold up your hand. I am. Well, if I'm mechanical man, what does that make you? Mechanical man. Mr. Roboto. <laughs> <laughs> Roboto. A jealous man will deny his jealous in a number of ways. Flat-out denial, self-justification, or a buffer. So how is it that somebody can have something right in front of them and not see it? A buffer, denial, or self-justification? That's how. Just that simple. Other people see it clearly, but if they say something to him, he'll flare, justify, blame, or acquiesce. So what does that mean? He'll flare. Okay? He'll justify. That's not the way it is. You don't understand. He'll blame. He made me do it. She made me negative. This person did it. That person did it. Or acquiesce. Okay, fine. You're right. When inside, they're sitting down on the outside, but they're standing up on the inside. You see a lot of that around here because we're really good at that. Because we're pretentious. Why are we pretentious? Because it's tough here. This is a tough place to be. This is not like life. There are lots of sharp, pointy objects here. We've broken a lot of mirrors here, and we never cleaned up after them. So almost everywhere we go, we can get cut. Almost everywhere we go, we can bleed around here. Why is that? We've been together a long time. We've been doing this stuff a long time. People get to the point where they see what it is, and they say what it is, and you either, you, you found that it doesn't work to fight anymore. Why fight? What are you going to do? So violence is not the answer, so what's the answer? Acquiesce, roll over. Oh, yeah, you're right. Pretend. Pretend we get it when we don't get it. It's self-defeating, but we still do it. The thing is, he must see for himself that he's jealous, if anything's going to change. Any movement to occur internally, he's got to see something for himself. Nothing is going to happen if Connie and Lori go to Patty and say, you know, Patty, this is what happened. Nothing is going to happen except what happened. She's going to defend herself, get upset, get angry, get negative, and make them both wrong. Nothing is going to happen until she looks at it herself. And when she looks at it herself, Properly, non-identified, non-critical, non-judgmental. So what's the problem? What's the problem? All the food ended up in front of you. What's the problem with that? I mean, if somebody said that to me, isn't it interesting all the food ended up in front of you? No, I don't think that's very interesting. That's where all the food should be. That's what I would say. Or if somebody said, well, isn't it interesting wherever you go, all the people end up in that room with you? No, I don't think that's interesting. That's the way it is. Why is that? I don't know. Who cares? What's that got to do with anything? That's just the way it is. You see, nobody's looking at it that way. You're not looking at it that way. You're looking at it like there's something wrong with that. Well, why is there something wrong with that? Because you have a picture that says something else. That's why there's something wrong with that. The need to see this. This is the work. This is applying it to yourself. This is a real-life example. How to apply it to yourself. You just got to be the lucky one. You're the one who gets brought up in front of the class and has to write on the board. And I did that in seventh grade one. What is, I think it was six times seven, seven times six, whatever it was. I guess it's pretty much the same. But if you state it differently, it sounds different. Somebody asked me, what's six times seven? I go, oh, I don't know. But somebody asked me, what's seven times six? And somehow I do know. It's 42. Somehow just the answer just flies out of my mouth. But if you ask me six times seven, I go, oh, I got to turn that around and get to seven times six. Then I'll know the answer. Because that's the way it's memorized. That's the way it's in the external memory of the formatory apparatus. Do you see? 
No, you're somewhere else. That's the way it is. It's in the external memory formatory apparatus, so it has to be brought up that way. And this is why it's not flexible. It's the letter of the law, do you see? And the difference is, you can ask me any question. It doesn't matter what you ask me. You're not going to get a pat answer. You could get a different answer every time. Why could you get a different answer every time? You could get a different answer every time because it's different every time. Why? Because it's flexible, because it's fluid, because it's the truth, because it's inside, because it's deeper than external memory. Now, as much as that annoys you, that's why you're here. I mean, and I know that it annoys you. Maybe not right now it doesn't annoy you, but I know the rest of the time it annoys you. Because it's something you're not able to do. And when you're not able to do it, it's really annoying. Because what that means is somebody else is able to do it, and you're not able to do it. And that means to your ego, to your false personality, that someone else is better than you. I don't think I'm better than you, but I don't have to. You're so busy thinking I'm better than you. All I have to do is sit back and take a sleigh ride. Moving right along here. If he observed for himself that he's jealous without compulsion, in other words, nobody's standing on the back of his head pushing his face into it, you know, without compulsion. Nobody's got him by the hair saying, you have to see this. If it's without compulsion, he'll begin to become aware of himself. And he could, therefore, see the effect of this contracting negative emotion on his life. It could happen. But under compulsion... You're just going to get resistance. Second force becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. The more you push, the more second force is going to be pushing back. The more opposing force is going to be pushing back. You are the one. You are the only one who can deal with that opposing force because the opposing force is in you. You're the only one who can turn it around. You're the only one who can stop making life the neutralizing force and start making the work the neutralizing force. That's what turns it around. You decide work is more important than saving my skin. That's a big decision. And it's a big decision you've got to make over and over and over again. And that's why people are not doing this. That's why there's so many professors of the work and so few doers. That's why there's so many hearers of the work. We had 229 downloads of the Fat Podcast in the United States yesterday. 229. Yesterday was Saturday. It wasn't even new. It's been out for a week. There are a lot of hearers. There are not very many doers. Until a ray of light falls on this inner darkness, we take for granted what we are. We take for granted our pictures of ourselves. We take for granted our automatic roles that we play in life. We take for granted our self-justifying. And we can't see what we're really like because we take this whole package for granted because we're so accustomed to it. We smell our own smell. And so other people smell us and they go, you need to take a shower. And they go, what? I don't stink. It's got to be really bad for you to go, oh, okay, maybe I do, maybe I do. Doesn't it? What do they say? A fox smells his own hole that goes right to his place because that's his smell. And that's the way we are. We smell our own smell. We take it all for granted. We don't get that acrid snap your head back. What is that thing? Ammonium, what is it? Ammonia. Do the little ammonia things that wake up calls, you know, and they, and it snaps your head back. Have you ever had one of those? No? Yeah, I have. <laughs> Pass out sometime and somebody will go take one of those things and snap it under your nose. And it literally just snaps your head right back. Snaps you awake, snaps your head back. It's like that. So we need that. That's called a conscious shock. We need that. But you spend your life insulating yourself from those conscious shocks. People spend their lives weaving this big armor in external memory of all this work so that it becomes this big armor so that nothing can pierce through it. You add the work to it and it just goes right into the armor. It strengthens the armor. No, you need to do something about it. You need to undermine yourself. It's your job. It's not my job. It's your job. So if you're getting PO'd at me, you're not working. That's the bottom line on that. If you're scared of the impact that I will have on your life, it's because you're not working. That's why. And me, I'm happy with the impact I have on my life. I impact myself every day. I let this work impact me every day. I'm not just some guy.
Like you take yourself for granted, you take everybody else for granted, you take me for granted. You think you know me. That is idiotic. You who do not know anything about yourself have the audacity to think you know someone else. And that's absurd. We're absolutely insane about this. You do not know yourself. And if you do not know yourself, I promise you, you do not know the person sitting next to you. In fact, you are the person sitting next to you. But until I tell you that, you don't even know that. And now that I've told you that, you still don't know it. Now it just goes into external memory and the formatory apparatus, and that's where it will stay until you practically apply it and begin to see it for yourself. Try to remember you are not what you imagine you are. That's imaginary I. All esoteric teaching says that we don't know ourselves. Why do you suppose that all esoteric teachings for thousands and thousands and thousands of years all agree on this one point? We don't know ourselves. Well, because they copied it from each other. It's just like in a test, you know, when everybody copies the wrong answer from everybody else and the whole class comes up with the wrong answer. It means somebody was cheating. No, it's because it's true. It's because we don't know ourselves. That's why they all say that. Well, that can't be right. I'm sure I know myself. So we're willing to stand up against thousands of years of history, of esoteric teachings, of masters who have awakened, who say this to us. We're willing to stand against all of them and say, no, they're wrong. I'm right because this is what I think. Self-love, thy name is me. I mean, look at it. It's self-love. It's just self-delusion. It's insanity. Yes, we're deceived. Self-deceived. There's not some boogeyman out there deceiving us. There's not some spiritual being out there deceiving us. We are not clear enough to waste some spiritual being's time deceiving us. Just throw us a binky and we'll suck on that for years, lifetimes. We're not interested in somebody else deceiving us. We can deceive ourselves just fine. (laughs) What we have in place of self-knowledge is imaginary I. So when the jealous man becomes conscious through proper self-observation that he's jealous, his consciousness has increased. He has become conscious. Look, I am aware that I am jealous. Okay, so his consciousness has increased. If he justifies himself, if he takes himself for granted, he remains asleep and mechanical towards himself. Nothing can change. No inner movement can take place. We remain in imagination. We imagine that we've changed. We imagine it's not that way. We imagine that these people just don't like us, and that's why they're saying these bad things about us. Another bullseye. You know, there's always a tender nerve behind the bullseye. I can always tell when I hit it because the facial expression changes. A lot of other things change too, but when you get a bullseye, it's like, oh. Once your consciousness has increased, then you got something going there. So let's take the jealous man. If he sees that he's jealous, his position is better because he has increased his consciousness. He can then begin to work on his jealousy by seeing it acting rather than remaining unconscious to it. You have this great opportunity now. You can see something acting in you. It is right now acting, and now it's calmed down to the point that you can actually think straight or straighter. It's calmed down to the point where you're not wanting to kill. So your hands are still going to break out, whatever that little rash is that you get from doing this when you want to do this. (laughs) And it's like that. It's that pretension that's it's just taking so much force to pretend to be somebody other than the person that you are. And you don't need to do that. You can do that if you want, but you don't need to do that. If you can't shift from where you are, how is change possible? If you're going to defend your position, you get to keep your position which means you can't shift from your position. If you can't shift from your position, how can anything change? And here's how we look at it. Well, they'll change. They're the ones who really need to change. My position is right. They're the ones who are wrong. And that is how we get stuck. You have got to be wrong. If you're not willing to be wrong, you're not going to make it in this work. You have got to be willing to be wrong. If you can't be wrong, you're going nowhere in this work. If you're right all the time, the work can never get into you where it can make any kind of transformation. You must be willing to be wrong. That is the opening 
for the work. Your willingness to doubt yourself is the opening. Without that, you're lost. How is it that people can hear these teachings for years and even teach them to others without transforming themselves? Well, here's a good one. This is from Matthew chapter 23, verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte. That's one student, one disciple, one somebody. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. That's how. We don't take it into ourselves. We use it on other people. We are Pharisees when we act for our own merit. A Pharisee is someone who acts for their own merit. We are Pharisees when we act for our own merit. When you get angry at somebody else and blame somebody else, who are you defending? Yes, and then whose merit is that for? For your own merit, exactly. And so you're in the bag. Who acts for his own merit? People of small being with no sense of anything greater than themselves. Ooh, sorry I had to say that. But it's true. People with small being have no understanding of anything greater than themselves. They think that they are the ultimate authority, that everything is about them. It's all about me. I'm the most important person. Therefore, everybody else needs to be less. And that's pretty much how we do it, sadly. They use everything greater than themselves to advance themselves. What does this mean? They use everything greater than themselves to advance themselves. The work is greater than us. I promise you that. This work, these esoteric ideas are greater than us. But we use them to advance ourselves. People write books, they do CDs, they do seminars, they do this, they do that. Why? To advance themselves. Well, we're doing it to advance the work. Uh Uh-huh. I don't think so. I don't buy it at all. That doesn't mean there are not some people who are not doing that, who are not advancing the work through those things. But as a rule, I would say that's not the case. For example, what does it cost you to listen to these podcasts? What does it cost you to read these essays? What does it cost you for this? Nothing. It costs you nothing. So that means that I'm not advancing myself. I mean, what's it? What am I getting out of this? Oh, I'm getting the great joy of you thinking that I'm wonderful, like I care, like I really care what you think. First of all, you don't think anybody is more wonderful than you. That's the first thing. And if you do think somebody is more wonderful than you, the only reason you think they're more wonderful than you is so that that can add to you and make you better than the other people in your life. I think James is wonderful and you don't. Therefore, I have greater understanding than you do, so you're an idiot and I'm not. All merit, self-merit. They can't observe themselves because they can't stand it. That's why people of small being don't observe themselves. They can't stand what they see. It's just too painful. They're self-satisfied and self-complacent. Are you self-satisfied and self-complacent? There you have it small being. Possession of magnetic center means you can admit there's something greater than self-love, self-liking, self-emotion, self-interest, all at once, not here a little, there a little. You can admit there's something greater than your self-love, your self-interest, your self-self-self-self-self-emotions. Taking yourself for granted means you're completely identified with yourself. That's what it means. You take yourself for granted, it means you're completely identified with yourself. You think that every thought you think is your thought. You think that every feeling that you feel is your feeling. You think that every sensation that you feel in your body is your sensation. You think this body is your body. You think this is your house. You think this is your life. You think this is your cat, your dog, your wife, your husband, your kids. You think all of that stuff, and none of it's true. Not one bit of it is true. But you think it's all true because you're identified with yourself. That's taking yourself for granted, just in case you're wondering. Of course, you don't always want your own way. You're not selfish. You're not jealous. You don't always want your own way. There are lots of times. Well, I remember that maybe, okay, so maybe you do always want your own way. Maybe that's really the way it is. Maybe you really are selfish. Maybe you really are jealous when somebody else gets something you don't get and you're upset by it. You go by somebody's house and they have a bigger, better house than you have and you think it's not fair. Well, you're really getting a beating today, aren't you? No, I'm in such a stupor, I can't even feel it anymore. (laughs) Was that supposed to hurt? That didn't hurt. What did he say? Rex can tell you later. 
If you begin to observe something in yourself, you begin to separate from it, giving you a different feeling of yourself. Observing I observes you and feels itself different from you. That's what starts to happen, which is a good thing to have happen. You can observe yourself being negative without knowing it. You can observe yourself being jealous without knowing it. You can observe yourself being envious without knowing it. You can observe yourself being violent without knowing it. You're looking at me like I'm speaking a foreign language because I am. I guess I am. I guess I'm speaking a foreign language. You take yourself negative as yourself without realizing it was negative. You take yourself as being jealous without realizing it's being jealous. You take yourself as being envious without realizing it's being envious. You just take it as yourself. No, you don't question it. You don't see it as apart from you. You take it as yourself. Exactly. So you can observe yourself being negative without knowing it. You have to know it. And the only way to know it is by observing it and separating it from it. How often we must be told we're negative before we begin to taste it and recognize it? Man, it's slow going, isn't it? We call anger something else. Yeah, we call it irritation. We call it frustration. We call it a lot of things. We have so many words for anger because anger's wrong. So we make up all these pretentious lies about it. No, I'm not angry. Why are you not angry? Because anger's wrong. Who made anger wrong? Well, you did, or the Bible did, or God did, or blah, 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 blah. You know, it's all a lie. You made it wrong. And if you made it wrong, you can make it nothing. You can make it neither good nor bad. You can make it just anger, which is what I recommend. That's called non-critical, non-identified self-observation. You don't make it wrong. You just see it for what it is. Well, what do you know? Look it. It's angry. And if you're not identified with it, what do you care whether it's right or wrong? When you begin to observe yourself at a certain point, you attract a great power to change you. When you begin to observe yourself, there comes a certain point where you start attracting this huge esoteric force, this power behind all esotericism that starts to help you. It starts to change you. This power acts on observing eye, which builds what the work calls deputy steward and eventually attracts real eye or master. What does that mean? It means that once you make a place for them, they can come down into you. But you don't have a place for them now. Why? Because your emotional center is filthy and overrun, infested with negative emotions. And real eye doesn't want anything to do with them. Master doesn't want anything to do with the filthy center that we live in. So that's got to start to be cleansed first. And there's a great power that can do that. We have to start observing ourselves in order to call down that power. It's the power of light, the light of consciousness. What I found through speaking to people about this work is that after a time, they do not understand what the work is talking about. They can talk to somebody and first they accept it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it gets to a point where they, their eyes glaze and their face just kind of goes passive. And you can tell they're asleep. There's nobody there. They take themselves for granted to justify everything they do, effectively blocking the work and never observing themselves. There comes a time when you've heard it all and you just click off. You've heard it all. You just glaze over. And the only thing that's going to bring you out of it is if you hear something new. And that'll only bring you out of it externally so that you can add it to external memory and formatory apparatus. The more you observe yourself, the less you judge others, the less fault you find. This is where conscious love begins to grow in a real way. If conscious love is not growing in you, you're not doing this work. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.